Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis, everybody. I'm Emily Trenum, and you're listening to to WYXR 91.7 FM. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Brittany Thornton. Brittany's with Juice Orange Mound, and we're going to be talking about a new campaign they have called Keep Your Land Orange Mound. And then after the break, we're going to be talking to Cole Bradley, who's one of our regular commentators. And Cole and I are going to be talking a little more about Orange Mound. We both had an opportunity to spend some time there a year or two ago with Brittany and talk about some other things as well, I'm sure. So welcome, Brittany. Glad to be back. So Brittany, um, before we talk about the Keep Your Land campaign, talk about Juice Orange Mound, the organization you lead in Orange Mound, and how it got started, and then, which is a little bit of a personal story for you, and then what some of its programs are. Yeah, for sure. So um, Juice, we're a neighborhood-based organization. Um, We um, really pride ourselves in specializing in all things organizing and brokering on behalf of current residents. So we, um, you know, Um, really are trying to increase the quality of the lived experience in Orange Mound through um, the projects that we personally equip the residents to execute and the services that we're able to bring into the community um, to serve our, you know, residents. So we're moving into this really interesting space of also serving entrepreneurs. And so um, we're an evolving organization that's letting data drive us forward. Yeah, I saw something about the... um about a program you're kicking off, which is going to be working with, um, I guess it's home-based businesses with women who have business ideas. Is that right? Yeah. So it's, it's specifically tailored towards single moms. Um, we're working with this consultant out of Harlem who's doing um, some work with single moms and she um, is a burgeoning expert around just, you know, black single moms and, um, we're connected to her. And so we're, you know, moving forward in our understandings around the barriers to entrepreneurs. And so we just let our, you know, energies collide and um, I'm targeting um, single mom entrepreneurs in the Orange Mountain area. So in the end, these, this project is funded by the Verizon Foundation and their whole goal is to bridge the digital divide. So we're excited to offer this virtual experience and then expose the entrepreneurs to e-commerce platforms that hopefully they can get their businesses up and going. Well, and I don't want to digress too much, but what are, tell us a couple of the business ideas. Yeah. So, you know, you have like um, your conventional roles, I think like the um, beauticians and the nail technicians, but we have, you know, um, someone who wants to do um, medical um, billing and we have another entrepreneur who has some health and beauty products, another entrepreneur. I mean, the the list of, I haven't looked at it lately, but there's a really diverse space and we're looking, we're really recruiting and we'll ultimately select moms um, that can offer a range of goods and services. Because remember, we work in the interest of current residents. So we just want to make sure that current residents have nice offerings on the other side of this incubation process. That's a great idea. And I'd love to see that. That sounds like something that could also be replicated 
in other neighborhoods. So I'd be interested to sort of follow along with that. So going back to Juice for a second, I know you moved back into the neighborhood several years ago and started Juice. So what was your personal sort of impetus for that? Yeah, so it definitely is personal for me. Um, I moved back in 2014. Teach for America brought me home. And so I spent that first year staying at home in my home house. And um, in that second year, decided that I wanted to move out to rent and realized quickly that, you know, this whole narrative about young adults not wanting to move home was really this. That was not, you know, the, the core issue. The core issue is that for the ones that do want to move home, they're not viable housing options. And so it had already been communicated to me that I should live downtown, midtown or East Memphis. And so in moving home, it was really just like a cost saving decision. But when I really, you know, moved into the, the renter's market, I wanted to explore Orange Mound as an option. And that's when I realized that we didn't have a lot of options. And so from then on, it's really just been history um, of learning what is going on, who the stakeholders are, where their opportunities, why the barriers exist, just asking a lot of questions and definitely um, showing up, making some demands along the way. Well, one of the things I've just always thought was cool about Juice was just that you're very much rooted in sort of the grassroots organizing. When I first met you, you had the Change for Change campaign where you were you know, walking the neighborhood, really walking the blocks, asking people for change, telling them about juice, and then deploying those, the funds you raised for a variety of neighborhood projects. And uh, you know, a lot of community development organizations are doing great work, but aren't necessarily taking that approach. And just, I really admired it and thought it was, I mean, clever, but also just, um, you know, just really rooted uh, in, you know, building up the capacity of the organization. So just touch on that for a minute. Yeah, for sure. So that's my favorite, the Change for Change. Um, that was the innovation that um, the Juice wanted to bring to Orange Mound. It's like, listen, everything being told to us is that we don't have anything to offer um, but we do. And and what we have to offer may be smaller in measure, but y'all, we can add this up and it can actually be impactful. So before we um before I even, you know, incorporated the organization, I got with my best friend. I was like, hey, this is the pitch. And I'm like, I really would like some validation from current residents that they actually think this is a good idea. So we went and we did a hundred surveys, we knocked on doors and um, got the feedback that we were hopeful for. And we knew that there would be interest in supporting the idea. So we haven't stopped the change for change process um, entirely. We have suspended it temporarily so that we can get you know our people in place to be able to come back and do it at a more optimal level. Well, plus there's a shortage of change right now, as we know, because of the pandemic. Although I have some for you next time I see you. That's awesome. That's awesome. There's never a shortage of change. I'm convinced. You know, <laughs> well, that's just what I've heard. I have seen signs in a few stores saying, I feel like, of course, I'm old. I don't use change much anyway. I mean, most people don't anymore. I'm using pulling out the card even for small purchases. But the idea of change going away, which people say it will, that just, I can't even wrap my mind around that. <laughs> Right. And it's, it's interesting, they say, because in presentations that I do, I always ask people, do you create a spare change? And so you're seeing like the, the younger the person, the less likely they are to just have like actual change. So we're, I can anticipate in the future, just keeping up with trends that will like have cash apps and, you know, PayPal's and just ask people to send over their spare change via one of these mediums. 
Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I haven't had, um, you could do one of those, you know what you could do is you could do one of those campaigns and all the orange monsters where people could round up their purchase. You know how you can round up your purchase for the food bank? Well, in orange man, if you bought there, you could round up your purchase for juice. Well, you heard it here first, all right? <laughs> I would do it for sure. Um, and, um, and but before, before we move on to the keep your land, I know the past, I guess, year or so, you've really, you know, ramped up your, um, you know, dividing the neighborhood into zones and the block captains. And how's, how is that working? I love our zone model so much. It is so efficient um, for me. Uh, you know, my placement here in Memphis was at KIPP. And so that's when, um, just within the, the context of education that I really saw, um, you know, metrics and, and data-driven decision-making happening. And I just love it. You know, it's very, very efficient. Um, this idea to work with um, street representatives is not new, um, but we definitely are putting our spin on it and um, hoping that it can be something. You mentioned replication earlier, and that definitely is the goal. Um, in essence, Juice is creating a neighborhood-based model for, organ- for neighborhoods that aren't just on your radar, like the bigger communities, but they do have like shaped identities that they can do this process and they can you know, better themselves or at least sustain themselves and being able to, you know, create and, and innovate and, and just, you know, not have to always be in a posture of asking for people's help. Like they can do something to kickstart the process of making those asks. Well, plus it just is great evidence of the fact that, you know, community organizing and engagement has, of course, been changed so much by technology, like everything in our world. But that doesn't mean that some of these traditional tactics have become obsolete at all. Um, I mean, that's an age old model and um, it's working for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, they say on the shoulders of greatness, do we stand? And by no means do we ever want to, to take on that energy that we know best. You know, we're, we're learning from the best and we're bringing, you know, things that have been great for a community like Orange Mound back. So in many ways, we're a resurgence um, energy in the community. And we're just excited to see um, the connections that are made through the generations, like whatever it's called and present, like it's, it's still just a consistent practice. So this whole um, block captain, what we're calling street captains, what we're calling the Orange Mound Street Assembly, um, it's all connected. And so it's just great to see um, true evolution in Orange Mound. Well, and I know Orange Mound, like a lot of neighborhoods, is rich with elders um, and that have a lot of wisdom and history and a desire to, you know, to rebuild the community and are they involved in the um, in the campaign? Or I know you have another organization, Orange Mound Millennials. Is it um, is it mostly millennials involved in that, or it's, not that you're excluding anybody? But what's the kind of what's the the makeup of the folks that are actually on the ground doing the organizing? Yeah, within Juice, um, we definitely pride ourselves on being intergenerational and. In- in how we we structure our programming, who our leaders are, like there's a lot of intentional diversity, um, and we try to strike balance amongst the ages and amongst the genders, and definitely amongst you know the the current residences across the community. So we're really trying to like you know 
make sure that we're a balanced organization. And there's no way in Orange Mountain you can do anything successfully without your predecessors. So we definitely have a, a strong foundation of um, super seniors and, you know, rising seniors that are advising the work and are really, really active. You know, our seniors, when I think amongst the leaders within the street assembly, you know, zone one has Mr. Muhammad and Ms. Cheryl Henderson, and they are dynamic. Like I tell them all the time, it's hard for me to keep up with them. And they are just so excited to see um, the young adult energy and they are super supportive. Like, it's just great. And so if you ever thought that ageism was an issue, like like we definitely have experienced otherwise and are super um, grateful for the leadership of our elders. Well, and I'm sure they're excited to see the energy that's coming behind their energy that they've you know utilized for so long. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR, and I'm talking to Brittany Thornton from Orange Mound, from Juice Orange Mound. And so, Brittany, let's segue and talk about um, the Keep Your Land Orange Mound campaign, which I think is so interesting. And, you know, I'm sort of familiar with some of the, you know, reasoning behind it. And of course, know a little bit about, you know, housing market dynamics in Orange Mound, not nearly to the extent you do, but so talk about, you know, what the origins of that were, why you're doing it. Um, there's so many aspects of it and I've got a million questions. So just start and then I'll interrupt you. Yeah, no, cool. Um, so yes, all the things. Um, it just, you know, I have to sleep at night. And so my conscience is always like really active, trying to reconcile poverty and privilege. So here I am, I've come back home with an Ivy League degree and every day, uh, everything that I've been exposed to, um, from like just worldly travels to just like, you know, like, like Orange Mount has raised something great in me. Um, and that has just been a process from me internalizing what my elders have told me, like go off and be great. You know, like it's just kind of like the cyclical thing. And so I'm emerged back into the space and I'm making all these connections and making all these personal, you know, um, wealth building decisions, knowing that I'm a first generation wealth builder. And then I look to my left and I look to my right and I see my neighbors who are not moving at the same pace with the same confidence. And so um, the billboard was really an internal internally driven decision to say, hey, y'all, like we just by nature of being in relationship with each other are funneling um, great wisdom, you know, around what's to come and what's what to get excited for, but it's not necessarily shared. And so we need to, in as big a way as possible for us, help the neighbors that we love and just, you know, whether we know them or not, just ideologically, like we love them, um, know that what they have is an asset. And so for many people, they're down, um, it's it's the holiday season, you know, people are making um, in, you know, kind of like um, immediately gratifying like um, decisions with their finances. And so whether or not to pay the taxes or whether to purchase the, the items to go under the Christmas tree might be a dilemma that someone has. Um, and so just to make sure that everyone knew that it's important that we continue to be landowners. We wanted to have that um, be a message that was communicated and circling through the neighborhood. Also knowing that from our data, 
word of mouth is a huge way that people receive information. So we wanted, if nothing else, for there to be a buzz about, you know, land and ownership in people's conversations that, you know, whatever inside information that people had, that those type of learnings could just be conjured up. And so we really wanted to be provocative. It's definitely intent to be provocative and to get conversations going so that people can ask questions and figure out where they are. Am I Am I good or do I need to make some decisions to help me make sure that I can withstand the development that's to come? Well, and people might not know, and you mentioned this, that there's a giant billboard. I mean, in Orange Mound, it's at, is it at Park and Lamar? There's a giant billboard that says, um, keep your land, Orange Mound. And um, that's, I mean, that's the, I guess, the the provocation, as it were. And I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, the just a couple of weeks ago, I did a show on um, black home ownership in Memphis. You know, in the gap between black and white home ownership rates, and I had on Amy Schaffline from United Housing, and then the executive director of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers. And you know, we talked about. I mean, that's the asset piece. I mean, you know, historically. And, you know, in the present day, uh, you know, black families have fewer assets than white families and home ownership is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And so to own a home is an asset. So that, that I mean, it just makes a lot of sense to, um, to emphasize that. Um, but are, I guess, do you think that, I mean, are people, I mean, certainly in, you know, my neighborhood and others, you know, there's a lot of interest in acquiring property now. I mean, first of all, a lot of neighborhoods have a lot of out of town investors, but additionally, I mean, Midtown and other areas, I mean, people get phone calls from, from people that want to buy your house. And, um, and is that something that, um, that's happening in Orange Mound or are there things kind of in the pipeline that um, make you think that's going to be happening at some point. And so you're, you're wanting to get ahead of that before the giant um, steamroller comes, um, which it does sometimes when neighborhood change starts happening. Yeah. You know, to anyone listening, I would say we have the airport to our Southern border to the North of us is the new Liberty park development to the East of us is the university of Memphis and their growing footprint. And then, you know, we're, we're just, you know, to the West, there's the downtown area that you're approaching. And so everything on every, in any direction that you're at um, concerning our boundaries, there's prosperity or, you know, appreciating asset or positive outlook. So um, it only makes sense that Orange Mound is um, prime real estate. And, you know, that's something that um, developers and investors and even residents alike, we just know it is. And so uh, you need not look or be dismayed by what you see, but what you know on paper is something that is trending upward. And so for those people who own land, um, it's just important, even if you, you know, we're, we're traditionally a community of the, the tiny, um, I mean, the shotgun style um, lots. And so what people might have might be a relatively small piece of land, but it's land nonetheless, you know. It'll keep you um, in a great location and not having to move out of the neighborhood, um, possibly eastward, um, far away from the concentrated development that is to come. And we see popping up all across downtown Midtown Memphis. So um, the Orange Mound is an asset. Um, and I think that it's a growing 
understanding of how much it is. The question is, do you own a piece of the pie? And so for many people, um, you do right now own it. So the message is clear, keep it and do whatever you've been doing to be able to maintain it. And we'll cross that bridge when, it, when, it, when, it, when it's time to cross it of what we need to do to be able to get the capital because that's a huge barrier for people to manifest. You know, even you can, you can do a new construction that can earn you passive income in your family if it's done correctly, but it will take, you know, some things that a lot of folks in Orange Mound are lacking right now. So that's why organizing in the end is going to be our saving grace. And that's why we're preparing for future fights, because we know that um, a community organized is the only thing that's going to be able to serve by and large the average um, landowner in Orange Mound. Well, and I think, you know, the scenario you described, um, you know, people having to choose between paying their property taxes and Christmas gifts. I mean, especially now with the pandemic, you know, people are squeezed even more economically. Are there um, in your organizing when you're, I mean, I know the campaign is, you know, more of a big picture, but, um, but you're also talking to people all the time. So, so what happens when someone is, um, you know, they're dealing with that scenario? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, a lot of people ask questions that we don't have data to back up. You know, like a lot of this is theoretical um, and it's the it's the the downside to organizing in a community like Orange Mound. Like as an organizer, I don't have access to data sets that can actually um, ground these um claims in actual statistical information. Um, we have a lot of 38114 data, but we don't have Orange Mound specific data, which is another reason why the work that we do, we collect a lot of data. Like we produce our own data sets to be able to drive these type of decisions. So one of our most recent surveys um, through to the street captains just asked, do you think that the average person in Orange Mound owns or rents? And right now, you know, upward of 65% of folks think that people rent. And so it, it makes for an interesting, you know, thought to just figure out like, what is, what is the truth behind that? Um, and what that, I mean, these conversations can go in many different ways. The questions of a homeowner as compared to a renter are going to be two totally different situations. And so when you think about if we're in a pre-development phase and the average person that we're building relationships with on the ground is a renter, then that's a huge you know, concern because they shouldn't rent through this development phase. On the other side is only going to be added, you know, barriers for them to try to become landowners or even homeowners. And so um, I would say that we definitely, anyone who's listening that has resources to share, we, we need more access to information. We need more people to help guide um, our understandings, you know, as thought leaders in this space. And so I think that these conversations are just at the beginning level. You know, we're grateful for platforms and mediums like this to help us reach um, other folks. But we we don't know it all. We're, you know, we're just concerned folks who are just trying to just, um, you know, kick up the dust as best we can. But it doesn't mean that we actually know what we're doing. So the assessor Melvin Burgess established a task force, I guess, a year or two ago, specifically on Orange Mound, I think he was concerned about property values in the neighborhood. You're probably involved with that. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and how it, the goals of that, I know you're not him, but the goals of that and and how it connects in with this, um, this keep your land, that whole philosophy and drive. 
Yeah, so I've always heard the assessor say um, that he's passionate about development without displacement, which is a shared, you know, passion um, for Juice Orange Mound as we continue to to press forward in the work that we do. Uh, I'm currently serving as the vice chair of the task force, so um, we are excited to see what I what I really view relative to what I've seen: progressive government. You have a governmental entity really leaning in. This role into this role of being a connector. So, you know, we're sitting at the table with developers and other um, governmental leaders and just other, like, you know, um, skilled working professionals who can actually do something about the things that we um, have concerns for. So, I think that um, because it's a new process, I think that we are going through a number of different growing pains, but um, people remain. This is this is how I, I judge it. I mean, the fact that we still have major players at the table, which, you know, over the course of my six years of being home has not been something that I've seen happen. You know, people come like if there's money involved, it'll convene people. But as soon as the money dries up, those same players are just going back into their, you know, their respective um things of interest, you know, so we still have um, major players that um, are choosing to see value in this process. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot more to come. We're moving in the the, the area of selecting um, our targets. Like we're, we're now organizing uh, the list of organizations in Orange Mound. So if anyone's listening and you know of different organizations, we're actually doing an all call to just get a full complete list of all of the interests in Orange Mound that might be interested in funding because we really want to direct the funding search that the assessor is about to um, facilitate for us. And so they've made a development plan and they're anticipating, you know, um, seeking out what $52 million um, on behalf of Orange Mound. The big question is, is how we're going to get these monies into the hands of stakeholders who are, who continue to do, you know, great things with it. So, so the goals are to raise money for the redevelopment of Orange Mound. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting, right? So when we talk about who's actually going to do the development, what does that look like? And in a community like Orange Mound, when that has historically looked like Black people literally creating and building, um, it really just kind of like makes me fascinated because across Memphis, I've just seen kind of like an under cultivated de- black development community. You know, um, I sit on the CRA board and when I can tell you that the funds that we approve, oftentimes they are two white males, oftentimes they are two non Memphians, you know? And so um, I've been asking this question a lot as I've just, you know, grown in my personal, like, um, questioning of like the black development community is just like, we're the black developers. We kind of have a very short list of folks that we continue to go to. Um, but we don't have, you know, as many options as we did surely when 1890, when a community like Orange Mound, a new development, <laughs> like he was looking for folks to come and be the brick masons and be, you know, the people who just built the community up from the, the ground up. So um, Orange Mound has over 30% of our properties that are vacant or blighted. So there's lots of opportunity for us to um, revive ourselves. I just, I don't know where our skills are. Yeah, that's that's a, been a theme of a number of my shows. I mean, the one on um, black home ownership, we touched on the uh, how what a small share of the real estate industry is black, and then um, also had ULI on talking about their equitable development initiative, and that's part of you know what, what they're trying to 
facilitate through their emerging developers program. But that's um, you know, a long time. That's that's a long journey to get to where we need to be. So, um, so Brittany, this is all just fascinating. So the um, so before we wrap up, anything else you want to share about you know about juice or about this particular effort um, with our audience? Yeah, I would just say you know. Um, you just mentioned that that's a long journey and we don't have the luxury of being able to, um, to wait for the length of that journey. You know, we really have to act now. So, um, we need folks that have to share, you know, we need folks that have to teach. We need folks that have to be patient and gracious and pursue, um, us and just understand that where we started, we are not, but we definitely um, can get back to that place. And so I would say this is an all hands on deck mission, whether you're black, brown, privileged or poor, like we need to all just rally around Orange Mound because the success of Orange Mound is really going to create a lot of space for the average Minthians. And so we all need to figure out our personal place of, you know, interest in this topic and, and help this community bring itself back. Well, I'm going to post the, you know, the link to your website and also to your social media in the show notes. So if people are listening to this on one of the podcast programs, they can, um, they can look in the show notes and look at the links and hopefully take a look and get involved, get in touch with you, send you some change, um, all those things. So, so I've been talking to Brittany Thornton from Juice Orange Mound and Brittany, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis. I'm here with Cole Bradley, one of our regular commentators. Cole's the editor of High Ground News and comes to Memphis Metropolis periodically to reflect on some of our interviews and talk about neighborhoods. So welcome back, Cole. Hey, thanks. Glad to be back. So Cole, earlier in the show, I had Brittany Thornton from Juice Orange Mount on and someone you know well, you and I both spent time with Brittany, spent time in Orange Mound when High Ground was embedded there. And just wanted to reflect a little on that. A um, couple things. Of course, whenever I'm talking to people, I run out of time of things I want to ask them about. And that was certainly the case with Brittany. But a couple of um, thinking back about Juice, a couple things really st- struck me as I was thinking about the interview after the fact, the first was just the dramatic uh, growth of, of juice really over a relatively short period of time. When, when we were embedded in orange Mount, I would say juice was a new organization, but it was really sort of a startup and they had this great change for change campaign, which Brittany and I talked about. They, um, we're just starting the round the mound, the annual 5k. They were doing some community gardens and 
but, but the organization has grown tremendously over the last couple of years. For sure. I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It, I haven't seen many orgs that grow that fast um, or kind of grow that much su- support throughout the community. I mean, I think in my mind, the success is sort of multifaceted. One of the things being that Change for Change campaign very early on engaged community members directly, and they've done nothing but build on that since. Uh, the new um, Street Assembly, I think, is a great example of that. The Street Assembly that they have, where they have um, sort of zone captains and and street captains, and it's really engaging a lot of people directly on the ground in a very literal and real sense. Um, the other thing I think is you can't uh, you can't discount the power of a dynamic and dedicated leader. And Brittany Thornton is a force. I mean, there's no else to describe her. She is a force. And I think she's done an excellent job, not just of leading, but also of recognizing that a leader can't be any, everything. Um, and now getting into the point where there's a lot of dispersal of uh, leadership, which I think is great. But yeah, you can't discount that. She makes me love my city more and makes me want to do more every time I talk to her. She is an absolute force. I agree with that. And going back to the street assembly for a minute, and I may have mentioned this to her when we I interviewed, like one of the great things about that is that um, grassroots community organizing, you know, some of the tools are tried and true and just, you know, they're, Everyone wants to talk about Zoom and texting and mm. a block captains. And I mean, that that is that's the least sexy from a you know tech perspective uh, method of community organizing, but it's very powerful, not just in a neighborhood like Orange Mound, but everywhere. And people just um the fact that they're deploying that successfully, uh that just that just sh- shows illustrates what you said, but I was struck by that. That sometimes we love the new and the shiny, and sometimes the the old and the tested <laughs> is just as important, if not more so. Yeah, and I think it, it's appropriate for a community like Orange Mound. And Brittany and I have had several conversations about, you know, how do you include sort of the least of of my brethren, if you want to take a biblical quote, which Brittany would very much uh, appreciate. But how do you how do you connect with and involve that person who has incredibly low literacy, who has no tech, uh, who may be homeless or experiencing homelessness? Um, there, we've had direct conversations about how do you include sex workers um, who are on the street. Uh, physically and don't have access to these community newsletters, but are a part of the community. And so it's this idea of how do you incorporate everyone? And in a community like Orange Mound, where you have lots of seniors, um, you know, you have lots of people who are low enough income that consistent internet Wi-Fi is a problem. Uh, It's not about none, it's about consistent. And so, you know, I think the caravans, uh, like C-A-R-E, care events that they did at the beginning of the pandemic and I believe have done more since are a really great example. They asked people directly what they wanted or what they needed in a care package that they then customized, but they recognized very early on that traditional quote unquote tech 
traditional tech methods weren't going to work. They went back to texting, phone trees, you know, text messages, and it worked. It worked to reach those people. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's a conversation we have a lot of how do you reach those folks? And I think they do an excellent job of responding to the need in that community for that. Well, and if it's, and it's, um, it's easy to, to not prioritize those groups because they're more difficult to reach. Of course, uh, Juice is very active on social media and I was looking at Facebook this weekend and, and she and her team were organizing a giveaway specifically for people living in rooming houses. Yeah. And which resonated with me for all the reasons you say, because a lot of neighborhoods have rooming houses. Certainly Orange Mountain has a lot. And that's an important constituency that needs care, needs attention, and has things they can contribute to the mix. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think it's a testament how fast they have grown and the resources they've managed to put together because we've definitely talked uh, about the the balance of resources and what you are capable of doing versus it is difficult to reach these people. It does take more resources to reach the unreachable, right? It does take more time and more consistent contact to keep these folks enfranchised in the process of community ownership. And so the fact that they are able to put together resources to dedicate specifically to these groups I think is not just a testament to the will to do it, but also the ability, how fast they've grown, you know? Well, and they're opening, um, you know, a new facility in the furniture, not the furniture store, in the clothing store there on Park. Of course, it's a great location. They're starting some entrepreneurship programs. She and I talked about a program just for single moms and just really blown away by their, um, and advocacy. She's very, uh, the billboard campaign is that the, the keep your land billboard campaign is a perfect example of her thinking about policy advocacy and the need to, you know, foster change on both the grassroots level, but also at the, at the, um, the legislative level. Yeah. Well, and that's, well, first off, I think we should be careful not to say she, because Brittany would be all over us about that, you know, that it's not just her. There has been a community that's been built around this organization. And so let's not give her all the credit. Oh, but, for sure. Oh, but again, yeah. let's talk 100%. about dynamic leader. Right. And, you know, it does take that very dynamic and very dedicated leader in the beginning to get this thing off the ground. So, but that said, you know, talking about policy and that push to to involve um, sort of these bigger conversations with decision makers. That's something too that that Juice is really focused on as far as getting the, the sort of lease enfranchised um, to be able to advocate for themselves, to have the agency and the skills and the tools to advocate for themselves. You know, how do you take that that individual who's elderly, who has low literacy, who's living in poverty, and equip them to be able to stand in front of these boards of, you know, whatever grants, et cetera, who demand a certain level of acceptability? And how do you help these folks navigate in those spaces? And I mean, obviously there's a big struggle with that. And I don't know if that that example of an individual 
might make it to Congress or what have you to speak in front of the Congress members, but it's still the idea that you want to try, right? That's the goal. The extreme user, if you will. Well, and the other, that's a great transition to another reflection I had, which was her success in really putting together a multi-generational coalition. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in neighborhoods as you have, and you know, frequently the the most engaged residents, the people in the neighborhood association or the block club, are elderly. Yes, uh, and they've got a lot of ideas. They've got a lot of great history and institutional memory. They don't always have the you know the energy or the um, even sometimes the capacity just because of their age to to make positive change. But they want to be part of it. And in a lot of neighborhoods that, you know, younger people have moved out. Um, but Brittany has done a great job of, of bringing in uh, younger millennial aged people, you know, encouraging them to move back to the neighborhood, getting them involved, but harnessing the power of the elders. And it's, I mean, it's a, I sound like, you know, a kumbaya here, but it's really a beautiful thing. It really is. And you know, to the to your point, the elders will come. The elders will be there. It's those younger folks that you have to recruit, the people under 40, right? Um under, you know, 30 to 40. And I think in part the success has been the fact that the leader is a millennial. Uh, is a young, dynamic individual who went off, went to a good college. Um, you know, Brittany has often said, I wasn't supposed to come back to Orange Mound. I was supposed to go live in Cordova, in, you know, Germantown, wherever, with my nice degree and my nice job and all this other stuff. But I chose to come back to my community. I chose to help create the heyday again that all of these elders talk about. You know, she said, I'm at the time, she said, I'm 29 years old and I have to create my own heyday. And so I think in part it's that is she is young. And a lot of the people that she recruited very early on were young. A lot of these block captains uh, and these not block captains, but sorry, street captains and zone captains are under 40. And so there's, also, the uh, Orange Mound Millennials, there have definitely been a, a push to focus on Millennials and Gen X. And that I think a lot of it's just appealing to them, reaching out to them and saying, you know, your family's from here. This community's got a lot to offer. Have you considered coming back? Uh, have you considered even just getting involved before you come back? And then once they get involved, oh, let me move back. It's got a lot to offer, you know? So, and I also think millennials, in general, millennials like the idea of having something solid and something to be a part of because for a long, for most of our lives, myself included, uh, not a lot has felt solid. You know, there was the, the sort of consumer failings in the 1990s. We watched our parents go through that. We watched 9-11 happen and we watched uh, the stock market and the housing crisis and all these other things. And not a lot in our lives has felt really solid. So the idea of coming back to community, of coming back to land ownership and to um, solidarity feels good. No question. And with a lot of changes happening around Orange Mound and in Orange Mound, it's just going to be really great to follow along on the juice journey 
and see where they go from here. Because I'm sure it's just going to be more growth, more positive change, as it were. Yeah. And also, let, uh, let us not pretend like Juice has all the resources in the world. You know, like they could still use partners for sure. They could still use help. I mean, we talk about their growth and it has been incredible. But as of just a couple of months ago, this may have changed, but their largest donation was $10,000. So it's not, this is change for change, right? This has been small incremental growth with individuals pitching in what they can. Not everyone has to be everything. Uh, you just have to, everyone has to do something, right? So let's not pretend like they're rolling in the money. If you are inclined, definitely spend your money there. <laughs> well, I will be posting information, uh, you know, links to their website and their social media in the show notes, um, which is available, you know, if you look, if, if you listen to this in a podcast, it'll be in the show notes. And if you listen to it on the Memphis Metropolis website, it'll be there as well. So I hope people that are thinking about their year end giving um, will definitely consider making a donation to Juice Orange Mountain because I really can't imagine a better. There's a lot of competition out there, there's a lot of great organizations, but Juice is certainly worthy of everyone's consideration, in my humble opinion. Uh, certainly in my humble opinion as well. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7, and I'm talking to Cole Bradley, who's one of our regular commentators and who's the editor of High Ground News. So Cole, this is probably going to be the last time you're on Memphis Metropolis in 2020. I know you joined me in you know, giving this year a kick in the ass and <laughs> moving on to a new year. But having said that, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time uh, talking about the the year and particularly COVID and its impact on neighborhoods. So I thought we could just wrap up by reflecting a little bit on that. So, um, so what do you think when you look back? I mean, I think of resilience, but also hardship. How do you how do you see 2020 through the lens of the neighborhoods we cover? Ooh, well, I mean, it's hard for everybody, right? Let's just start out there. Uh, unemployment and uh, inconsistent employment and COVID and all of these things, fear have exist in every neighborhood. So let's just start there. But the neighborhoods we work in are already the most, most of them are already the sort of the most disenfranchised. They are the poorest. They have the fewest resources and they have the highest, um, they have the highest, what do we call it? Um, indicators of health, right? Uh, so they have the, or the worst rather, indicators of health, highest diabetes, asthma, all of these things, heart disease that contribute to COVID, severe COVID death or severe COVID cases and death. So in a lot of our neighborhoods, I think that we have heard more fear um, around the disease itself, but I mean, definitely people are losing their jobs and they were already on the brink. Uh, they were already more than paycheck to paycheck. You know, these people who a lot of them live in just the debt of poverty. It's very expensive to be poor. And so if you're already poor and then you have even less money, we've talked to people who, 
you know, their light bills are about to be cut off and they've lucky, they're lucky they even made it this long kind of thing. And so I think there's that issue. And from a neighborhood's perspective, some of these neighborhoods that were on the verge, we talked about Frazier, for example, Frazier kind of on the verge of what looked like some really good growth that may be halted for a long time. We don't know what the repercussions are at this point, right? But that's a neighborhood that was, to me, kind of on the upswing and may be questionable now. Um, so I'm not really, I think it's hard to tell what it's going to be like. This is going to be long term. We're talking five, 10 years at least worth of damage. So I'm not sure in some ways. There's a lot of uncertainty. I agree. And and um, when I said I wanted to you know, kick 2020 to the curb, which is how I'm feeling personal. And I think a lot of other people are, you know, you raised just an excellent point because, you know, when we cross over to the new year, that it's not like any, and, and there's a, there's a, of course, a vaccine coming, which is um, people are excited about, but um, there's all kinds of long-term there's going to be long-term effects. Um, I mean, sh short-term well into 2021, but long-term as well. And yeah, I mean, just look at the businesses, right? We have thousands of thousands, possibly, you know, more than that. When you look across all small business sort of industry, we've just lost so many and small businesses are the largest employers uh, when you look at them collectively. And so just, that, you know, in, in neighborhoods, for example, like North Memphis, where we have been embedded for most of the year, we weren't necessarily intending to, but COVID happened and we just kind of continued to loosely focus there. Uh, plus, we had our class going on where we were training uh, residents from those neighborhoods to help do their own community journalism. So we were kind of stuck in North Memphis, right, for a long time. And stuck, 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 happily stuck. Oh, that's what I was stuck with, right? Um, it was great to really, normally we only spend three three months. And so we did get more experience and a longer vision of it. But that neighborhood already has so few businesses. And, you know, we know of at least one that, um, you know, the office at Uptown, and there have been others that have closed in this that were real community staples. So, you already have few businesses. You've got more and more businesses closing, struggling to stay open. That alone is going to impact uh, these neighborhoods, all neighborhoods. But these neighborhoods, every it's always going to be these neighborhoods who experience the most, the most. They're going to be hit the hardest every time. Well, and if, even if the moratorium is extended, you know, the threat of eviction is very real and that's going to have an impact on neighborhood housing markets and contrib contribute to increased blight um, as people more, are more rental ownership, less home ownership. Absolutely. Um, as well as we, you know, we've had some conversations in our coverage this year around toxic housing, um, you know, in neighborhoods like this, where you do have a lot of slumlords, a lot of landlords who are not in state in country, even who are not directly connected to these properties do not care the state of these properties. And so we've got folks who live in North Memphis, for example, who are living in houses with raw sewage running in front of their door. Um, and how do you shelter at home safely when your house is toxic? So that's something to consider. Um, you know, there's just a lot of elements that go into this. And I think the 
for neighborhoods like Whitehaven, neighborhoods like Hickory Hill, neighborhoods like Frazier, their experience is going to be very different than neighborhoods like South and North, North Memphis or Orange Mound even that have been our neighborhoods we've covered, but they're all going to take a hit, a big one for a long time, I think. Well, and the one thing that's um, been very, um, that's resonated with me is the heightened food insecurity. I mean, that's always an issue in our, in our neighborhoods, but it's urgent at this point. Um, You've got Time is now Douglas doing food drives every week. A lot, they're just one organization of many that are doing food, but there are a lot of people who do not have an, you know, access to food and don't have enough money to feed their families. Yeah. I mean, we're, this is depression era breadlines, a hundred percent. When you can look and see a line of cars wrapped down the street. uh, I mean, this is, this is depression era food shortage. This is crazy to think about in our society today that this is still possible. Um, But yeah, there's, and I got to you got to give props, though, to some of these organizations like the time is now Douglas. You know, they we did a story on them early on in the pandemic where none of the mobile food pantries were coming up there to that neighborhood. So they took it upon themselves. They approached donors and said, we need this. You're going to help. And they've been distributing ever since regularly. And so you got to give props to these smaller organizations that have really stepped up and said, we're going to do it for ourselves um, or or just we need to, you know, just the, even the commitment to just do that. We shouldn't have to in this society that's supposedly one of the greatest nations on earth. We shouldn't have to, but you got to give them props for what they've done. It's been incredible to watch. I agree. And and what I said at the beginning, I've been impressed by the resilience and the just the fortitude of some of these neighborhood-based organizations that are stepping up in very powerful ways. Well, you got to, you know, let's, you have to, to acknowledge that poor people have been doing this a long time. Poor people have been supporting themselves a long time. They've been coming together at a neighborhood level, doing what they've got. I mean, even back to, you know, warlords and plebes and stuff way back in the day, poor people have been doing what they got to do or scrappy. Uh, and by poor people, I mean, kind of, anyone who's living in the lower middle class, because we are all one to two paychecks away from, from abject poverty at this, at this point, a lot of us are. And so, yeah, we've always kind of done what we got to do. Well, on that note, Cole, thank you for being on Memphis Metropolis. I'm looking forward to lifting up, working with you on high ground and also on this program to lift up some, continue lifting up some, um, some positive stories about things happening at the neighborhood level in 2021. And I know you joined me in that, that crusade. <laughs> yes, for sure. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7. I've been talking to Cole Bradley, who's editor of High Ground News. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. 
Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy. 